But we're in this series uh, called Supernatural, uh, based on the unseen world. And we've looked at uh, the role of Satan and um, evil in the world. We've looked at uh, angels in the story. And a few weeks ago, we started talking, or a couple weeks ago, we started talking about the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. And we're going to continue on that theme. But first, uh, and this isn't even on the slides, um, I want to read to you a scripture that sometimes, doesn't the Bible, sometimes you go, that sounds like a nice promise, but really, isn't that a little, you know, inflated? Does anybody ever, honestly, besides me, I'm the only one that's going to get struck by lightning. Okay. okay. <laughs> a few of us. All right. Jesus says this thing in John 14, verse 12. He says, Very, verily, truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing and they will do even greater things than these. Now, if you're the disciples and you've been watching what Jesus is doing on earth, do you hear that and go, <laughs> is this one of Jesus' kind of exaggerating teaching moments, right? How many of you have read that verse and gone, that's a nice thought, but really, Jesus, you did some pretty amazing, great things. And you're saying that those of us who believe in you and follow you, we get to do greater things? Does anybody besides me sometimes look at that verse and go, uh, okay, three or four of us still, you know. Second service, maybe I should try this side of the room or something. <laughs> we'll try over here. You know, it's just, it's okay to be honest about this stuff. Um, there's no shame in it. I think it's part of discipleship. It's part of learning to walk with God and, and grow into what he intends for us. Uh, there was a guy named John Wimber um, who ended up being, unintentionally, he started uh, the, this, uh, the vineyard churches. You may have heard of some of them. We have some vineyard churches in town. I'm friends with some of the pastors there. And, and when he was a younger man, early in his faith walk, uh, John went to a, a church service, and um, after the service, he walked up to the pastor, and uh, John had been reading the Gospels, right? He's new to this whole thing. He says to the pastor, so when do we do the stuff? <laughs> when do we do the stuff, right? The stuff that's in the Bible. When do we get to do that, right? The greater things. <clears throat> the stuff, said the pastor. What's the stuff? You know, John replied, the, the stuff in the Bible, the healing the sick, the casting out demons, the stuff. Oh, replied the pastor, we don't do the stuff. We believe they did it back in Bible times, but we don't do it today. With a rather confused look on his face, John could only say, and I gave up drugs for this? <laughs> See, there is a reality that is available to us in the unseen world, and a lot of it involves moving into some realms that we might not always be comfortable with, um, and that is the realm, often, of the Holy Spirit. And there's a great story that I want to read from Acts 19. It'll be up on the screen. It says, Paul took the road through the interior, arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples and asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They answered, no, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So Paul asked them, then what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. Paul said, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is, Jesus. Verse 5, on hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them, came on them, 
and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. Now, a, a few years ago, a couple years ago, I was talking to a guy who's been, he's grown up in the Evangelical Covenant Church, our denomination. Um, he's, he's a pastor. He's older than, older than me. Um, uh, and, and he said to me and a few of us that were talking, he said, yeah, I'm reading this passage. And I got there to verse 2 where it says, no, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And what clicked for him is that he had operated that way for decades, for all of his Christian life. And he was into his 50s at this point. And he thought, you know, sure, sure, sure. Um, he and, and many of us, we know about the Holy Spirit, but really for all practical intents and purposes, we haven't really heard of or entered into the reality that there is a Holy Spirit empowerment that is available and active for us today. Kind of like the Ephesians that Paul went and met that didn't know that there was a Holy Spirit. Um, those guys, they were really good baptized, you know, Christians, disciples it calls them. But kind of like them, I wonder if that's maybe true for some of us today. You know, for all intents and purposes anyway, that, that we would have to say, wow, well, when it comes to that realm, we haven't really even heard that there is a Holy Spirit because maybe we've heard information but not experienced or practiced what is available. And so I wonder... Oftentimes, if we, and maybe this is especially true for those of us who have been Christians for decades, are we actually fully engaged with what it means for the power of the Holy Spirit to be active and moving in our lives? For the Holy Spirit to fill us, in the terminology used in that scripture, to come upon us? Or would we have to say, well, practically speaking, it's like I'm living in that, you know, well, we haven't even heard that there is a Holy Spirit camp. Now, by the way, if that describes you, there's no shame in that, none at all. Especially if you haven't been exposed to the power of the Holy Spirit or you haven't had any solid teaching on, on the Holy Spirit's supernatural power, because um, then you probably don't even have the categories to kind of process and work with. So the question here is, um, is there more? So the Christian life that you and I are living, is there more? Is there more? And I believe there is more. And what I want to do this morning is address just a few obstacles that I think stand in the way of keeping us to being open to the operation of the Holy Spirit actively in our lives. And then at the end, I want to ask us, invite us just to open our hearts and to ask God to give us more of what he has for us. Um, this kind of was sparked by a conversation that, that Heidi and I had with a couple, and, and I think of this lady as kind of a big sister in Christ. She loves Jesus, loves people, but she was talking about kind of her frustration with some Christian songs, and maybe it was worship songs that she was listening to, where in the song they were asking God to, to come, to bring us more of Jesus, to, to fill us. And in her mind, because she's never had any real teaching around this that's been healthy, in her mind... She was just kind of mad because it felt like they were saying, you know, all this legalistic stuff like you just got to try harder and strive more and, and it just felt legalistic to her um, that asking God to fill us was like this realm that people were trying to say is a higher realm of spirituality. And she was reading some of this in herself. But, but her point was, um, you know, can you, if the Holy Spirit is already in you, why would you ask Holy Spirit to come and be present, why would you especially ask the Holy Spirit to fill you? He's already in you, right? So why would you ask Holy Spirit to come upon you? 
Now, I totally get a lot of where she's coming from because there are some Christian circles that are very legalistic, very performancy and striving and try harder. And if you're a real serious Christian, then you operate in these spiritual gifts. And, and it can get really weird, really fast. And, and so I totally, my heart is with her. Like legalism has no place in our walk with God. There is no attaining higher levels of Christianity. Like there are no different second class citizens in the kingdom of heaven. You're not a second class citizen if you don't operate in certain gifts of the spirit. It's okay. And there are churches and places that would have that kind of hierarchy, maybe unspoken, but it would be there. So I get her frustration, um, but it just made me think about, you know, because God is in us already, does that mean he can't also fill us? And it got me thinking that it's not just our sweet older sister friend that we were talking to, um, this sister in Christ. If you ask people, if you ask good Christians People who study the Bible, who value scripture. Um, is God, if you ask them questions like this, is God good and can he be trusted? What would they say? Well, yes, of course. If you ask this theological question, um, there's the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So is uh, Holy Spirit God? Yes. yes, yes, right? They'd get the answers, right? Yeah, okay. And then this would be a more difficult question. So if God is good, he can be trusted. And if the Holy Spirit is God, then what keeps us me and you, from trusting the Holy Spirit to be who Scripture teaches us he is and how he can operate in our own lives. Uh, that's where it gets a little more tricky to navigate, right? Like, I believe that God is good, he can be trusted, that Father, Son, Holy Spirit, so Holy Spirit is, is God. But it gets harder for me to trust for the Holy Spirit to do what Holy Spirit does sometimes. Um, sometimes it's harder for me to open myself up to the fact that there is more. And when somebody talks about the Holy Spirit or there being more available, we don't have to start arguing or criticize or dismissing or ignoring the Holy Spirit or the weird people that do the stuff that is a little weird. Like we can let go of that fear and trust that if God moves, if Holy Spirit moves, it's actually a good thing. And so again, these are just questions I'm pondering that we're going to get to some of them here. Um, what keeps us? What keeps us from simply in humility? Because that's what it takes is humility to be open. What keeps us from inviting Holy Spirit to come in fullness and fill each one of us? To fill us as a church body. And that brings me back in my weird way that my mind thinks. It brought me back to this thing that I think my friend, the story I just told, I think she was confused about. And it's an obstacle that I think is a common obstacle. Um, obstacle number one of the three here. When it comes to the Holy Spirit, um, and we use this language of being filled with the Spirit, some people push back when we use that phrase. When we say, Holy Spirit, fill us, isn't the Holy Spirit already in every Christian? Right? And by the way, um, this stuff is all over the internet. Like, in fact, some of the, we, we have a, let's just say, a relative who works for one of these big ministries that has a very particular view of theology. They spend lots of money making sure that their search engine, if you Google a question, their website comes up with the answer. And that's fine. They think they're right about this stuff, but a lot of this stuff comes up and it is all over the place. People that say, Listen, the Holy Spirit is already in us, and so this asking the Spirit to fill us is, just doesn't make any sense. 
But personally, I think that those categories, that you can have one and not the other, um, is a misunderstanding. And I think it can be an obstacle. So here's a, me just taking a stab at this one in the time that we have. Um, one way to think of this idea is that the Holy Spirit is within you, right? And that's different than the Holy Spirit coming upon you. Right? There's a difference between Holy Spirit within you and Holy Spirit upon you. Now, Holy Spirit within us, um, and especially I would say this is true of what I'll call um, Holy Spirit nervous churches, right? Uh, but, but they'll say things like this. Um, we believe that every believer, every Christian is filled with the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit. You're filled with the Spirit at the moment of conversion, period, end of sentence, end of discussion. And by the way, that's true. They are you are, if you're a follower of Jesus, uh, one verse of many, 2 Timothy 1.14 tells us, guard through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us the treasure which has been entrusted to you. It says right there, the Holy Spirit dwells within us. So it is true that the Holy Spirit comes, dwells within us at the moment that we decide to follow Jesus and become his. And when you become a child of God, the Spirit comes and lives in you. All kinds of things happen. That's one of the most amazing ones, right? Um, scripture says that your body becomes the temple of the Holy Spirit. Scripture says that the Holy Spirit helps and empowers us to actually live the Christian life. You can't do it on your own. You have to have the power of the Holy Spirit in you to do it, no matter how good you are or how hard you strive. It takes the Holy Spirit to follow Jesus. Like your identity, right? Me too. <laughs> Your identity is changed. That happens when you follow Jesus. You go from old creation driven by the flesh to a new creation with a new heart. You become a child of God. Your sins do get washed away. It's amazing the work that the Holy Spirit does in us when we give our lives to Jesus. It's amazing. There is not one person anywhere who can be a Christian without the Holy Spirit. There's not one of us that can follow Jesus without the help of the Holy Spirit. So, again, this first category, very, very true. You and I, we have the Spirit within us. Within us. So, there is no need to ask, if you're a Christian, you don't need to keep coming back and go, okay, Holy Spirit, will you be in me? Over and over and over. You just don't need to do that because it would be impossible to do that because you already have it. So again, that part is true, right? You following me so far? But I don't think it wipes out the other part because on the other hand, the Bible does urge us to seek and receive the filling of the Spirit. And one of the key verses on the filling of the Spirit is from Ephesians 5, verse 18, where it says, do not get drunk on wine. Instead, be what? Filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. And this term, be filled, is translated uh, from the Greek. It actually is, is a continual present tense, which means do it again and again. Keep on being filled with the Spirit is what it means, right? Instead, keep on being filled with the Spirit over and over and over and over, being filled. So apparently, this is not a one-time thing. Keep on being filled. And all over scripture, you'll see places, Old Testament and New, where, where the Spirit comes upon people as they prepare to do these incredible works of, of ministry. Now, being filled with the Spirit, again, repeated over and over, um, we are filled with the Spirit. And by the way, oftentimes when the Spirit fills, 
often gifts of the Spirit show up, right? Spirit fills, and in the first passage we read, what do they do? Spoke in tongues and they prophesied. These spirit, the Spirit filled, and it's not always the same thing. There are different gifts, by the way. It's not every person will be speaking in tongues. We can look at it at a different time if you want, but that is a legitimate gift, I believe. But when the Spirit fills us, oftentimes these gifts show up, and I think that's because the Spirit doesn't show up empty-handed, right? Have you ever, ever gone to a party before? Show up at somebody's birthday party, and you thought it was just kind of a, they said, oh, yeah, no, just come, stop by for a little bit, don't get a present, and then you get there, and everybody's brought a card, a present, a gift, like something big. Anybody, is this only has happened to me, am I the only dumb, yeah, okay, okay, some of the teenagers are with me, some of the guys are with me, okay, we're in good company, good company. Cool thing about the Holy Spirit, though, is the Holy Spirit never shows up empty-handed, right? Holy Spirit shows up and gives us gifts. They're gifts. And again, sometimes people miss out on it because they figure, well, because the Holy Spirit's already in us, which is true, why would we ask the Holy Spirit to fill us or come upon us? But according to Scripture, we need both, Holy Spirit within and to come upon, to fill us. And I hope just that little snapshot there gives you at least some different categories if those are some of the things you have heard um, and maybe those are some of the things that have been an obstacle in your desire to experience more of the Holy Spirit. So second one, second obstacle I want to look at um, to experiencing more of the Holy Spirit. Uh, This is often taught by people who are suspicious of the gifts of the Holy Spirit and it's a term called cessationism. It means ceasing. Ceasing. Cessationism teaches that the supernatural gifts of the Holy Spirit, so tongues, interpretation, prophecy, miracles, healing, words of wisdom, words of knowledge, that all of those things, those gifts, they all ceased after the apostles died, after the early church was um, moved to the next generation. Uh, Some of them say, hey, now that we have the Bible, those gifts are no longer necessary because we just have the Bible. And lots of really intelligent, smart people argue that this is true, write books on this from very Bible-sounding bases and, and, and backgrounds and platforms. Some legendary people in theology would say that. They would claim that the gifts are not for today. They would claim that since we have the Bible, it's all we need, right? Here's the problem. That's not what the Bible teaches. This is not. It's just not. Like for me, I've been on a journey with this for many years. I grew up in Pentecostal circles, and I was at a Pentecostal Bible college, and I saw some good things, and then I also saw some of the people who operated in some of these more supernatural gifts, and, um, and you know, in the church services, it was, ooh, impressive, but in real life, they were arrogant, they were mean, they, like, they were jerks, right? They were full of something. <laughs> Probably not the Holy Spirit, I'm not sure. Um, and also, you know, there were all these scandals going on in, in that day, way back. Um, a lot of scandals. I know we don't have any more scandals in the church world today, so it's hard to imagine. Thank you for laughing. Um, um, there was also someone close to me whose family got taken in by a prophet who declared that his prophecies and words were equal to Scripture. They were on par with Scripture. Like, that kind of stuff, like, you see enough of that and you go... Okay, this is really wacky, okay? People just get off. And I get it, right? People get off in the practice of these gifts, and it's easy just to kind of 
you know, push it away. And for me, I questioned what I had learned about the gifts growing up. And I thought even, you know, maybe the Baptists were right about this. And this is just a bunch of wackiness. By the way, not all Baptists are cessationists. But um, so I studied this point of view that the gifts maybe ceased. And one idea that is promoted in that camp is that the Holy Spirit gifts aren't needed today, again, because we have the Bible. And so they'll look at oftentimes 1 Corinthians 13, verse 8, where it says, love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge or words of knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, we prophesy in part. But when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. And they would argue, well, when completeness comes, which would be the word of God is completeness, which is not what the text says at all. But they would say, all right, we have the Bible now. So all that other stuff, tongues and prophecy and words of knowledge, that's, that's gone, right? See, if you do an honest study of this verse in particular and others, um, what Paul is talking about is that when Christ returns, that's completeness, and then that other stuff isn't needed, but until then it is needed. Like when we're face-to-face with God, we won't need tongues or prophecy or interpretation. We won't need any of those kinds of gifts. He wasn't saying when the Bible gets written, then we'll have no need of prophecy, tongues, words of wisdom, knowledge, or healing. Like that's not found anywhere in scripture. So the gifts, it's hard to say if you're actually basing your beliefs on the Bible, which is what you know, all Christians are supposed to aim for. If we base our gifts, our, our beliefs on scripture, it's really hard to say that the gifts are not for today because you would have to reconcile a whole lot of scripture that says otherwise. Um, And here's just one out of many passages in the New Testament that we could choose when it comes to showing that the gifts of the Spirit are something that God intended for us to experience still in our day. This is the Apostle Paul, 1 Corinthians 1, verse 5. He says this, In everything... You were enriched in him in all speech and in all knowledge, even as the testimony concerning Christ was confirmed in you, here we go, so that you are not lacking any, in any gift, and charisma is the word, any gift, awaiting eagerly the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, which is one of the ways that the Apostle Paul refers to the second coming of Christ, the revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ. So, Just in that statement alone, Paul is assuming that the charisma, these supernatural gifts, are going to be in operation not, you know, when the Bible shows up, but until Jesus returns and comes again. So, again, friends, freedom in Christ is what we practice here at Hope Covenants. We don't have to agree on every point of view in our church family, but But my understanding when it comes to this teaching and these passages and and lots of the best theologians that I read, they understand this to mean that until Jesus comes back, and he hasn't come back yet, just saying, okay, the charismatic gifts of the Spirit are valid and available. Until Jesus returns, these gifts are supposed to be operating in the church, so these gifts are for today. Okay, now I want to mention one more common obstacle Um, And I want to take a little different approach here because there are Christians who are not necessarily like way over here on the cessationist side, like, oh, the gifts are done. That was just back in Bible times. They're not over there, but they're not over here saying, I I am wide open to whatever the Holy Spirit has. They would maybe think of themselves as kind of somewhere in the middle. They believe that the gifts could exist, but they aren't 
experiencing them today. So again, if charismatics are over here, cessationists over here, they're, they're, they're kind of in that passive spot. They're not against the gifts of the Spirit. It's just that they haven't experienced them. They might even shrug and say, well, I suppose that stuff's valid. It could be for today, but eh, we just never really see it happen around here. Eh, right? Um, and some of them, by the way, in this kind of passive mode, maybe it's because they've seen a little too much weird stuff and they don't want to be weird. I understand that. But there are lots of denominations who kind of lean at this way and this point of view. And it stems from a, a great man named A.B. Simpson. Um, he was a great man of God. He founded the Christian Missionary Alliance denomination, where I uh, worked in a church out of that uh, group for a while. And I don't want to knock him at all because there are many great things, things that that group does right, incredible ministry, reaching lots of people around the world. But um, he had a slogan that lots of folks that are kind of passive when it comes to the Holy Spirit, he had a slogan that a lot of people adopted, and he said this. He said, when it comes to the gifts of the Holy Spirit, our posture should be forbid not, seek not. Right? So people like... Simpson and groups that are like him, they know that you cannot from Scripture invalidate the supernatural gifts of the Holy Spirit. These are good Bible students. They study well. They want to know where it is in Scripture. They know you'd have to do a lot of theological gymnastics to try to prove a point and say that the, the gifts no longer exist um, because they know you can't support that point of view from a thorough study of the New Testament. So on that side, they're like, okay, we're not over in that cessationist thing. But for whatever reason, they're also not eager on this side to see the gifts of the supernatural happen. It's kind of, again, this passive posture saying, listen, if God wants to give us the gifts of the Spirit, he'll give us the gifts of the Spirit. But we're not going to go after it. If God wants to do it, then I suppose we'll let him do it. You know, forbid not, seek not. Now, Greg Boyd, who is very helpful with, with some of this stuff that I was studying in here, said this. He said, I submit to you that forbid not, seek not, and by the way, Greg's a Baptist, so this is, even, this is fun, right? Um, I submit to you that forbid not, seek not is not the correct biblical posture. Jesus said, seek and you will find. Ask and it will be given. Knock on the door will be opened to you. Ask, seek, Knock. That's what Jesus told us to do. He didn't say, sit on your butts and we'll come to you. <laughs> Greg said that, so if you're mad at me for that, I'm just quoting, just quoting Greg. Um, but here's the point, and I think he makes a really good point. God wants us to seek him. We're not trying to earn something. We're not trying to strive or manipulate or beg or plead. God wants us, though, to seek him. And that doesn't mean that we're going to have to negotiate. We are simply seeking the heart of God. And God is for us. He's not against us. God wants to give us good gifts. So, with that in mind, what does Scripture tell us to do when it comes to experiencing more of what the Holy Spirit has to offer us? Turn to Luke chapter 11. It's a familiar passage to many of you, Luke 11. Jesus is teaching on prayer. Luke 11, verse 9. Jesus says, so I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. 
Then he goes on and says, which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, you give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Now, many of us have heard that in the context of prayer, right? And it is. It's a great teaching on prayer and persistence and confidence building of how this is supposed to go. Um, And that last verse 13, uh, you want to hear the the Doug Glenn translation on this is, if you then are schmucks, but even you know how to give good gifts, right? Um, If you can do this, then think of your father God, like how much more, how much better are the gifts he gives? I remember one time, uh, Troy, our worship uh, uh, pastor who was on the drums today, nicely done, Troy. Um, Troy just pointed this, and I'd never seen this before. Troy pointed out there's kind of a twist there, this verse at the end. You think when Jesus is saying, hey, if you know how to give, even you guys get know how to give good gifts to your children, right? You're thinking that, that when he says, how much more will your Father in heaven give you good gifts? Wouldn't that make sense? Right? God does, you know, you can even give good gifts. God's going to give great gifts. But there's a little twist, right? Because what does Jesus actually say? He gets specific with what the gift is and says, how much more will your Father in heaven give what? Give what? The Holy Spirit to those who what? Ask him. Hmm. Here's the deal. Friends, God gives good gifts. The Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit are given to us as gifts. And yes, the gifts of the Spirit are a little mysterious, and sometimes people do really weird, strange things with those gifts. But God is a good Father, and he wants to give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. And notice, again, the verses running all this together. Jesus ties this whole thing to... Asking, seeking, knocking, right? Which is not passive, is it? Right? If you're asking, if you're seeking, if you're knocking, it's not just passive sitting back. Well, let's just see what happens, right? No, he's saying, don't be passive, seek, seek. And God's been working on my heart for a while in this regard as it pertains to the Holy Spirit because, because um, what I had seen growing up, some of this stuff was great, Right? But especially when I went away to Bible college, um, I kind of went into that, yeah, I'm going to go to that seek not, forbid not camp, right? Like, you know, I told you a minute ago that I looked into the cessationist thing, that maybe, maybe I could agree with that, but I knew that wasn't biblical, and I knew that even though I'd seen some abuses and some manipulation by people who claim to have the gifts of the Holy Spirit, I knew that even with that kind of cleared out of the way, like, I knew that some of these gifts were real, but... Honestly, because it was so confusing and so even felt dangerous sometimes, um, I didn't want anything to do with the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. So I was like, all right, forbid not, seek not. Like, yeah, whatever, right? Holy Spirit, eh, okay, whatever. But then there was a shift for me because sometimes I would experience the power of God, maybe in a worship service or or when I was speaking or if I was playing music somewhere or I saw legitimate healings that I knew were real, not fake, like real deal kinds of healing. Like my son Noah was instantly healed from asthma. It was undeniable. Um, So I knew this stuff is real. 
the stuff, right? As Wimber called it, the stuff. And um, so I wanted to know more, but I kind of was like, well, you know, God will just do whatever. You know, I'm not going to like really chase this down. I'm just going to be open, maybe, if I think of it. Um, But then, a couple of years ago, in a study I was doing for my sermon here at Hope, one week I came to 1 Corinthians 14, verse 1, verse I've read a gazillion times. And in kind of my, yeah, we'll see how it goes, posture, I had to read and be confronted with these words. Follow the way of love and eagerly, eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. All right, so I had read this verse a thousand times, I'm sure, but I never unpacked that sentence where Paul says, eagerly desire the gifts. See, eagerly desire doesn't square with that whatever past posture, the whatever posture of ask not, you know, seek not, forbid not, right? Doesn't square with that, does it? And so I thought, okay, well, I'm going to do a little study here. I'm a Bible guy, right? I'm going to do a little study. What's the Greek word for eagerly translate to? Like I could maybe get off the hook with my indifference as it comes to the gifts. It means something different in the translation, right? Um, you know what the word uh, is translated eagerly? Um, it's, uh, let's put the next one up here. Yeah, eagerly salute means zealously. That's even stronger, right? <laughs> I'm like, oh man, oh my goodness. That's more urgent than eager, See, the Apostle Paul is saying that we are supposed to be zealous for the gifts. He uses the word zealous right there. Be zealous to seek and desire the gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. Again, that one makes me nervous, right? We've seen it misused. But he's saying zealously, zealously. He's not saying anywhere, hey, yeah, listen, once the Bible gets written, we don't need prophecy, tongues, words of wisdom, knowledge, healing. That's... cessation thing. It's just not found anywhere in scripture. He's saying, actually, zealously desire these gifts. And if nothing else, this is one of the many verses, this zealously desire verse here that would push against the posture that uh, I have found myself in, and maybe some of us have found ourselves in when it comes to the gifts of the Spirit and, and seeking the Holy Spirit. Maybe our posture has been, well, if God wants to do it, he'll do it. Seek not, forget, forbid not. Whatever will be, will be. If it, if it happens, it happens. If, if God wants to give it, he will give it. But don't bother spending time asking for it or seeking for it or knocking on the door. But right here, Paul confronts that posture by saying, seek it zealously, desire it. See, God has these gifts for us, so they must be important, friends. He values it. And he's given these things to us as a gift, even if we don't understand them fully. So if we trust that God is good, if we believe that God is good and he can be trusted, can we trust him to give us the gifts that he wants to give us? And would we actually do what Jesus says to ask, to seek, and as Paul adds, zealously seek, to knock, desire it? See, there's a blessing, there's a value in seeking these gifts. Worship team, will you come? So I guess here's my question that we'll leave off with uh, for this week. We'll pick up next week and see where it goes. But here's the question. Um, It's a question for me as well. 
So do you want the gifts of the Spirit? Do I want the gifts of the Spirit? Do I want those gifts? And are you willing to seek those gifts? Do you want the gifts of the Spirit? Are you willing to seek those gifts? Take just a moment between you and Jesus. Do you want the gifts of the Spirit? Tell him. Are you willing to seek them? Let him know. Friends, we're going to pick this up next week. We're out of time, so hear that question right there again, just when it comes to the Holy Spirit and the power of God that's available to you. When it comes to the gifts that God might want to give to you, do you want it? Are we willing to seek it? Will you stand and we're going to sing together. We're going to invite the Spirit of God to come like a fire. It's a bold request, isn't it? Like a fire, like a rushing wind. We're going to invite the Holy Spirit like to mean these words, not just sing them, but to mean that, God, we want you to manifest and show up in ways that we can experience. Friends, let these words awaken your heart and let this song become your passionate prayer from the depths of your heart.